1: It is indeed NBA Sound System, L-I-V-E, live, Carlin Gay, alongside Scott Rafferty. We are five games through what has been a compelling NBA Finals in 2022. Scott, how are you feeling, my friend?
0: Colin, I- I'm doing better than Ime Yudoka, who has has got to be so frustrated with all these turnovers that the Celtics keep piling up in these games. Um but more importantly, Colin, how are you doing? Because we just witnessed what might be the defining game of Andrew Wiggins' career. So you must be on a cloud nine right now.
1: I, I am, uh, you know what, Scott? I, I am feeling regular. I, I am not there yet. As you know, I'm Andrew Wiggins' number one supporter. I, I don't think there's a better or bigger fan of Andrew Wiggins out there than me. However, uh, as I said to Mike Adams and Gil McGregor yesterday, i um, I am going to wait until there's four wins either way before I start to put into perspective exactly what this series has been um, and how great either team has played in this series. There's no sense in celebrating on the uh, 10-yard line. You got to get in the end zone, and we aren't there yet. It's 3-2, still plenty of basketball left to play. It's first to four, so I'm – I'm you know, cautiously optimistic, but we'll see. Um, on this episode, we will talk about the finals. We will preview game five, or game six, rather, recap game five. We'll discuss who should win finals MVP right now, and then also whip you around uh, the NBA trade draft free agency rumors. They're all starting to come up because, as you know, once the champion's crowned, we get right into the draft, and we go into free agency, then there's trade rumors, and then you take a deep breath, and the season starts all over again, uh, but we will get to all of that and more on this edition of NBA NBA Sound System. If you haven't yet, please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. That is the best way to help us out, get to new listeners. So if you're enjoying what you listen to, uh, subscribe, rate and review, tell a friend about us. We'll greatly appreciate it, and it and also it's free of charge. It doesn't cost you anything. So a little goodwill goes a long way. All right, Scott, let's get into Game Five. Uh, that happened as you're if you're listening to us live. Across the NBA global networks, that happened Monday night. We're talking to you on a Tuesday afternoon, and it was a game that I thought that the Warriors needed to win going into it, and coming out of it, I probably should have thought about it the other way, uh, based off of the way that the Celtics left the floor. They looked deflated. Now they're going back home, Game Six. Um, you know their backs are against the wall, but they have the you know, I, I guess the comfort of knowing that they'll be playing on their own rims, we'll be playing, they'll be sleeping in their own beds. Everything's going to be there for them to be able to play, perform at a maximum level, um, and the crowd is going to be on their side. So that should help them in Game 6. However, um, you no, know, I, w- I won't tip my hand yet, but, but Scott, I, I really think that that Game 5 said a lot about how I thought that this series would go initially when I picked it. Uh, if everybody remembers on this show, I said Warriors in six. I changed my prediction after the first two games and said we're probably going to go seven. I probably should have, you know, held off a little bit, but I went there anyway. It, the finals makes you kind of swing your opinion more than any other series uh, or any other point in the NBA calendar. Um, I, I really truly believe, and it's hard to kind of, it's really hard to stay put on you know what your gut feels uh, in in these finals. So where where do you sit now through five games?
0: It is funny because I had the same feeling. It feels like every single game, my opinion has changed a little bit. Um, like the Celtics feeling that game one, the the Warriors bouncing back in game two, the Celtics really controlling game three, like they just looked the better team. I thought the Celtics were the better team as well in game four, um, but it really was Steph Curry just kind of, you know, having an iconic performance that helped the Warriors get over the, get over the edge and tie the series up. And then really the Warriors looked pretty comfortable of game five, five I thought. Um, they came out really strong. Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins, credit to them, kind of set the tone for the Warriors. Um, Draymond in particular, much has been made of him um, and how quiet he's been offensively in this series. He still had, you know, put up some big passing numbers. I think he's still been very good defensively, but offensively he just hasn't been able to do much. Um, game five, his stats don't necessarily jump off the page, but I think he was much more aggressive to start with, and that really helped the Warriors get off to a strong start. Um Warriors were in control for that first half, and then it was the Celtics who dominated the third quarter, not the Warriors, which is not how this series has gone to this point. Um, Looked like it was going to be close down the stretch, and kind of the Warriors, again, took control. They got some timely baskets out of Clay Thompson. Um, Andrew Wiggins was obviously fantastic. Finished with 26 points, 13 rebounds. He continues to have a great series on both ends of the court. And look, Steph had a bad game by his standards. Finished with 16 points, 7 for 22 shooting from the field. But I think this was a big win for the warriors picking up one when steph had a bad shooting game um because really when you go back to game four it took 43 points for steph curry for them to pull that victory away and he didn't really have that much help i know like clay hit some timely shots wiggins had some timely buckets and everything like that but it very much felt like the steph show and me in particular going into that game five i was curious one how these celtics would defend steph curry um and they kind of defended him they didn't switch up their scheme too much but i thought they were just more dialed in more physical with him right. didn't give him much daylight right um but it was the other guys who stepped up and i think you know if you can win a game like that when steph curry shoots 722 and i do think that the, num- the numbers are a little bit misleading like he, he just steph impacts the game he rolls out of bed and guys just gravitate towards him and he has open teammates um but for them to win that game when steph played as badly as they, as they did I mean, that's that's a pretty good position for them to be and in, go into Game Six.
1: Yeah, it was it was easily his worst game of the series, um, and his worst shoot probably his worst shooting night of the playoffs. He uh, ended a streak of uh, I, I can't remember what the number was off the top of my head. I think it was 233 <laughs> straight games of having a three pointer, uh, and he was trying. He was trying. He was taking mm-hmm. shots, and that was the first time in a long time where I've seen Steph Curry really press in terms of uh taking some of the threes that he took. Uh it it felt like the Celtics frustrated him um at points because of, you know, um you know the, the the lack of daylight he was getting uh in comparison to the first four games and I thought that that was, you know, something that was on the Celtics side um you know in game 4 and in game 5 and something they could build on in this series because it's not over yet. Uh mm-hmm. the Warriors do have to win one more game, but I think if Steph comes back with that same mentality that he had in Game Five, um, you know, I, I don't expect him to shoot as poorly as he did. But just the mentality, the shots that he was taking, it wasn't Steph like it was. He wasn't letting the game come to him. He was really forcing the issue, um, and that probably led to the poor shooting night. And if that happens in Game Six, I think I think we'll be looking at a Game Seven. Um, but what the Warriors were able to do was get around him um, and 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 really build him up. Andrew Wiggins had a terrific game as you. Mentioned off the top, probably the best game of his career. Klay uh, Thompson had some moments. Jordan Jordan Poole had some moments. I thought the defining moment of the game, uh, Draymond Green played a lot better uh, you know, in game five than he did in the previous games. I thought the defining moment of the game, Scott, was at the end of the quarter in game three, uh, or sorry, in, in game five, uh, in the third quarter, the Celtics had come back. They had taken the lead. It felt like they had seized momentum coming out of the locker room. That was the best third quarter they've had in the entire finals, um, because we've always heard, oh, the Warriors come out of the locker room, and and the Celtics really just weren't prepared for. It. They they were beginning to hit what waves and allowing the Warriors to come back into games each and every single game. And this time, th- the roles were reversed in that third quarter. But with seconds left, Andrew Wiggins grabbed that rebound, and normally, you know, most players dribble that clock out. He you know he he's he's under his back. He's basically his two feet in his own paint underneath his basket. He had no shot of getting a shot off that would have made you know the net, but he forced the issue. He could have easily given up on that play, walked back to the huddle. Forcing the issue and finding Jordan Poole to get an attempt off and Jordan Poole making that shot changed the entire momentum of that third quarter because that, that not only switched the lead, but it gave the Warriors momentum heading into the fourth. It made the crowd uh, you know rise to their feet. It, it, it gave them it gave Jordan Poole the confidence that he needed to to start making some shots in the fourth while Steph was sitting on the bench. It changed everything. And that that play to me is the difference in this series and why I picked the Warriors. I thought coming in, and I still think to this day that the Boston Celtics are the better team on paper. But I think experience matters in the playoffs. And that is a moment that the Celtics will look back on, one of the moments that the Celtics will look back on if they lose this series and say, we should have done a better job of playing right to the end of the horn in that moment. You could get away with that in the regular season. You may be able to get away with that in the first three rounds of the playoffs because the team that normally gets out of the Eastern Conference is probably the best team in the Eastern Conference. But you can't do that in the finals, uh, especially against the Warriors, because when Warriors make you pay you know, they're not getting layups. They're getting three-point bombs. And that was a dagger shot to me uh, at home. And it really felt like, you know, it, it wasted a lot of the good stuff that the Celtics had going for them in that third quarter.
0: I also just think that the, the Celtics seemed like they kind of ran out of steam in the fourth quarter, I thought. Um, Tatum in particular, I, I thought he, he bounced back pretty well from how he played in game four. Um, but he, he, he did seem like he ran out of gas a little bit down the stretch. So did Marcus Smart. Like Marcus Smart had a good game and he he was crucial to that third quarter run that they had. Um, but they just could not generate enough offense in that fourth quarter to kind of get, you know, make up for the deficit that they had in the first half. Um, there's no doubt that was a big shot by Jordan Poole. I, it was a hilarious game for him because I feel like it, it, it was so hot and cold, right? Like he hit some big shots and everything, but the, 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 the shots that he did miss were, were rough. Um, and he also had some defensive lapses and everything like that. I, I thought Gary Payton II was huge in this game, by the way. And I know when he did get injured in that Grizzly series, a lot was made of how important he is to this team, especially, or well, mostly defensively. Um, he is one of the best one-on-one defenders in the entire league. But what he was able to do offensively, setting screens, rolling to the basket, hit a float, had a layup. Um, I, I thought he was huge in this game for the Warriors, scoring 15 points off the bench. Um, I, I don't know really if they win that game without him. Um And by the way, on Steph, I I know he shot terribly. He did have eight assists for only one turnover. You look at the assists that he had. He's drawing at least two defenders every single time. Sometimes all five Celtics defenders are looking directly at him before he passes the ball. And I know this is a small sample size. Beware of one-game sample sizes here. But the Warriors averaged scored at a rate of 118.7 points per 100 possessions with Steph on the court in Game 5. In the 11 minutes he was on the bench, 68.2. Yeah. Okay? But like this guy, again, he, he just makes such a tremendous impact whenever he's on the court. And not to, to kind of get ahead of the finals MVP talk, but I think it was pretty clear that Steph was the finals MVP through four games. And even though he played, he shot badly by his standards in game five, I still think he made a tremendous impact on it. Yeah, I agree.
1: Uh, we might as well go there now. Finals MVP talk, uh, because it, I, I see a lot of love for Andrew Wiggins and, you know... Um, it feels like it's just a trendy thing to do. Whenever a player has a good game, oh, he's already the Finals MVP. Let's let's just give it to him right now. Same thing happened to Steph after Game Four, and mm-hmm. I, and I said this, uh, you know, on on some of the hits I did leading into Game Five. Like it, four games have gone by, we have no idea what the next two uh, at minimum are going to look like. And you know, Steph came out and had a bad game. The Warriors were still able to win. I still think he is going to be the Finals MVP because I don't expect that to be. You know the standard for him, but if he does come out and have another stinker the way that he did, you know now you can now I can listen to the argument. But after one game, it's tough to listen to that. Uh, It's tough to hear it. Um, You know, you could give Wiggins his his flowers without giving him the Finals MVP. It's okay to just say he had a good game and move on from that. He doesn't have to be the Finals MVP after one good game. Well, back to back games, He, he did have a good game in Game Four, but it wasn't on you know the level of Steph Curry. So. Um, you know and same thing goes for you know Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum they've had you know they've kind of exchanged um, you know roles in terms of who, who would be the uh you know the go-to guy who had had the better game uh, through the first four games in game five Jason Tatum showed up Jalen Brown did not that could change in game six and seven uh if we get to seven so um, and then, you know, the stuff where, you know, if the Warriors still lose the series, does Steph get the finals MVP vote? At this point, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I still have to see how the, the the rest of the series plays out. But, um, you know, if, if, the, if the Celtics, if the roles were reversed and the Celtics had won game five and we're going into game six and people were still trying to make the argument after watching Steph play the way he did in game five. And granted, it's not a bad game. It's a bad game by his standards. Mm-hmm. I don't think you give him the finals MVP on the losing team. So right now, had a vote. I would say Steph Curry is the finals MVP for the Warriors. Jason Tatum would be the finals MVP for the Celtics if they're able to come back. I think he has to be their best player if they they, they are able to come back in the series and
0: win it. Look, Steph is averaging 30.6 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, 4.6 assists, 1.8 steals, and he's shooting 46.6% from the field. And 41.7% from three. That's, yeah, that's after he went 0 for 9 yeah, <laughs> in, even in game five. Yeah, he is having a terrific seri- series. Yes, he struggled in game five by his standards. I still think he was quite clearly the best player, if not on the Warriors, just on the court in the first four games. And the Warriors do not tie this series at 2-2 if it's not for the way that he exploded in game four. So for me, I, I, I do. I, I'm with you. I think he's a clear MVP Um, in this series right now if we're assuming that the Warriors win I think Andrew Wiggins has been terrific he's probably been their second best player in this series Um, definitely their second most consistent what he's been able to do offensively as a scorer um, as a rebounder he had what 16 rebounds in game four or something and he had 13 in game five Mm -hmm. Um, he's been so big in that regard for the Warriors and defensively what he's been able to do to Jason Tatum I mean it, it takes a whole team to slow down a player like that, right? And if you go back and look at a lot of Jason Tatum's misses in this series, it, it's him getting get, – Andrew Wiggins forcing him in to, to where he wants, but him driving to the basket and an additional defender being there, whether it's a Clay Thompson rotating at the last second or a Draymond Green or Kavon Looney, um, it, it really does take a team. But Andrew Wiggins has done a fantastic job in, in making him work for absolutely everything, matching him step for step, contesting all of his jump shots with his length um so it it really has been a two-way series for Andrew Wiggins um and and I'm with you on the Celtics. I I I do think it's really hard to 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 figure out which one of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is more deserving of finals MVP as things stand right now but I do think that Tatum yes he's shooting terribly in the series but he still leads them in scoring his passing um he's been great as a passer in this series for the most part I think you know even when his shots aren't falling driving to the basket drawing that attention making the extra decision making the warriors pay for, for loading up on him i think he's had a great passer and a great series in that regard and also as a defender too like he's just so crucial to what the celtics do on the end of the court his length i mean he guarded steph curry for a lot of game five um but just being able to kind of defend every position and everything so i i think i would give him the edge right now but like you said, it, it it did frustrate me after Game Four. As good as Steph Curry was, the amount of comments I saw on like Twitter of people just being like, "Give Steph the Finals MVP right now! It's over! <laughs> it's done!" It's like it's only two. Each team has won two games. Right. So much could happen in these next three games. So you gotta let the series play out. But I I, I do think it's it's Steph's award to kind of lose at this point.
1: Now it is. Now that they're yeah. up three uh, two, I would agree. Let's talk about the Celtics for a second here because. Uh, and I, you know what? It's time for me to, 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 to say it. I think the series is over, Scott. I think the series is over in six. I, I understand that the Boston Celtics have, you know, come back in, in, in series past. Their backs are against the wall. Everyone remembers what Jason Tatum did. Game six, going to Milwaukee when they were down 3-2. But I, I've seen enough now from this team to realize that it's not happening for them this season. And when a team shows you who they are, you, you, you got to start believing them. And I'll say this, you look at, you know, people always downplay what the regular season is, right? Like people always, you know, kind of downplay, oh, we the playoffs are what matters. The regular season is there to kind of build the habits that you need to have in the playoffs, and ultimately, if you get there, the finals. And the Celtics, to me, have built, you know, and everybody talks about the turnaround that they've had. That was great. You know, that got them in a position to, you know, talent-wise... Um, and they finally had an identity. I think that's what they were missing the most. They did not have an identity prior to Ime Udoka. He, he's given them an identity, and, and their go-to has been, their calling card has been defense, and that's what's gotten, here to, gotten them here to the finals and kept them even in the series. The problem for me, though, is they've never been able to be able to, to – they've never been able to really take care of the basketball at any level at any point this season, and it's hurting them big time in this series. It hurt them in the in the, in the second round against the, the the Bucks, a team that I thought they should have got rid of in five or six games. That series went the the full uh, seven. It hurt them against the Miami Heat, a team that I definitely thought they should have got rid of in five games, and then that extended to seven. And now here they are playing the Golden State Warriors, and it's hurting them again. They were up two one. They had no business losing that game four, uh, you know, it, to 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 the Warriors at home. That would have been that moment that you as a as a championship team show that metal and toughness and mental toughness to get over the hump to say, Hey, we are here. And they did not do that. Game five, they came out as flat as ever. And they they yes, they fought back in that third quarter. They were able to take the lead. But that energy that they expended just to get back in the game, you could you saw them. They were mentally and physically exhausted at the end of that game five. They just could. They just did not have the energy that they needed to get over the hump. And this has happened now in three straight series. I go back to game five against the Milwaukee Bucks. That series is tied at two. No Chris Middleton. We now know that he's not going to be there for the rest of the series. The Celtics come out flat. All of a sudden, they're playing a game six in a must-win situation on the road. They got the job done, and everybody says, you know what, no harm, no foul. Happens again twice in the Miami Heat series in the Eastern Conference Finals. They win, you know. Game one, fatigue, whatever happens, they were up big in that game one. People forget that. I'll give them a pass for that because fatigue. They just came off a seven-game series. Jimmy Butler had a terrific, uh, you know, second half. All right, they go down one nothing. They come back and blow the, the Heat out on the road to tie that series up at one. And at that point in the series, it's over. Like it, it is over. We know that Kyle Lowry is not playing. We know that you know there's injuries that the Heat have to overcome. We know that Tyler Hero's in and out of the lineup. We, it, it, it's pretty much over. They come out in game three flat and lose that game three at home to allow the Heat some time. The Heat are now leading the series 2-1. Again, backs against the wall. They tied up. They beat the Heat in game five at, in, in uh, Miami, uh, might I add. They were able to do that and come back home to Boston and lay another egg. They should have closed that series out in six games, but they didn't. They let the, boss, the, the, the Miami Heat hang around and force a game seven. And really had to play all the way down to the final minutes, where Jimmy Butler had a shot to take the lead late in that game. So that adds up. It's not just physical, you know, uh, fatigue. It's mental fatigue. And they're in this situation again. They had the they had the Warriors against the ropes, up two one. You're going. You you have home court advantage essentially uh, in the series after stealing it, you know, by winning game one, and you didn't close it out, and you let the sleeping giant wake up. Here are the Warriors now. All the pressure is on the Boston Celtics heading back to Game Six, and the one thing that the Celtics haven't shown me that they've been able to do in this playoff, Scott, has been win when the pressure is on them. And it, it was different than with you know in the Game Six with Milwaukee. You know, Game Six Milwaukee going back, they weren't expected to win that after losing Game Five. They were almost the underdog going into that game. Uh, you know, uh, perf- Game Six performance that Tatum had incredible performance. Same thing. You know, going back to Miami for Game Seven, it, you know, it, it could have been a toss-up. Miami had home court advantage. It, it wasn't a lot of pressure on Boston in that situation. The pressure is on Boston now to make sure that they force a Game Seven. And uh, I, I'm saying right now that the the Warriors have house money. You know, they're not expected to win Game Six at all. You know, it, most people are expecting this to go seven, and everybody making this prediction. I keep hearing we're going to seven because because Boston's not going to have their series, their season end at home. I think it's over. I think the Warriors are going to go in there. I think the Warriors are going to win game six. I think when we look back at the playoff run that we've seen from the Boston Celtics, all of the signs were there, and we continue to ignore them. They are the better team on paper, no question about it. But the turnovers and the lack of really understanding the level of intensity that you have to come with in the moments that you needed to come with it, it just wasn't there. I'm going Warriors in six. And uh, I think this thing's over.
0: I hear you. I I still think you're not giving them enough credit for those Game 7 wins. Um, They were expected to win both those games. I think had they lost, especially against the Heat in that Game 7, giving up what happened to Jimmy Butler in Game 6, and especially the way that that game went down to the wire. They had that lead. They looked comfortable. They almost blew it. It came down to a Jimmy Butler 3. I think had they lost that game, that would have been a huge, huge, huge and disappointing loss for them. So I think they do deserve a little bit more credit there. But I, I, I do hear what you're saying overall. I think, look, this this Celtics team is really, really good. They have one of the best defenses we've seen in a long time, if not ever. Um, they are led by two stars and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But they are just so frustrating sometimes because it really feels like you don't know what team you're going to get. On a nightly basis right it's 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 the turnovers um it's the offensive struggle some nights they are hitting th- i mean even even in game five right didn't they start the game like oh for 17 or 0 for 12 or something and then they hit six in a row in the third quarter to kind of regain uh, get back into the game you just have no idea what to expect them from from them on a night-to-night basis so i i i do lean warriors going to game six like you do i still don't know if i want to completely count this team out um Look, I, I think the turnovers is a huge thing. I think you have to give credit to the Warriors' defense for a lot of that. Um, but this team can be very careless in that regard sometimes. I think their bench has been a, a big part of their success throughout the playoffs. You know, like Grant Williams, especially defensively in that second-round series against the Bucs, was huge. But even Derek White um, at the start of the series was, was putting up big numbers off the bench for them scoring. They had 10 points their bench did in Game 5, and six of those points came from Luke Cornett and Aaron Neesmith. So they, they basically just got no production from their bench. And I know a lot of this still comes down to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and how, long, how far they can take them. Um, but they, they do need production from those guys. But I, I, I think we saw the same thing where it, it did feel like they kind of ran out of gas down the stretch of that game. They looked a little deflated. And look, this Warriors team is fresher. Like not to say that they've had an easy road to the finals, but it has been much smoother. Like they haven't played a game seven yet. Yeah. um they made you know pretty quick work of the nuggets and the mavericks in two of their three series um i i think that does matter but this team is just also just so frustrating to play against right like the warriors are deflating to play against because you have moments where like you have to stay glued to steph curry the entire time the way they get their backdoor cuts um all these kind of things they they, they just seem so frustrating to play against so I, I am fascinated to see how the Celtics come out in Game, five, game 6 because that, that crowd, I'm assuming, is going to be absolutely wild, knowing that their season is on the line. Um, Jason Tatum said it after Game 5. You know, we're not, we don't have to win two games immediately. It is just one game, and then you deal with the next one after that. Um, but, yeah, I, I was very impressed by the way that the Warriors looked in Game 5. I think that sets them up for a lot of success in Game 6. But, look, that was, this was the first time that the Celtics have lost back-to-back games in these playoffs – And the last time they lost back-to-back games was the end of March. Like, it's been a long time since this team um, lost in the fashion that they did. So I I, I still think it's going to be. I hope it's a competitive game six. Um, I, I am leaning Warriors. I just, I wouldn't be all that surprised if we do have a game seven on Sunday.
1: I would be. Um, I, I'm, I'll be surprised if we end up with the Game 7 on Sunday. I, I think this baby's over. I do think that the Celtics are going to put up a fight. I'm not saying this is going to be a blowout. I expect them to have a big lead after the first quarter. The, the, the crowd's going to be rocking. There'll be a lot of energy. But as the game goes on, uh, we'll start to see the bad habits that have allowed the Warriors to hang around, stick around, uh, and if the Warriors are, are, are mentally tough enough to, to withstand that first wave, and that second wave, that's going to come. Uh, And then at that point, when they're standing there, I I think the Celtics will realize, hey, doubt starts to creep in at that point. When you're on an elimination, you know, playing an elimination game, you're playing a team that, you know, everyone talked about the video of Jalen Brown going into the finals, you know, before the finals started. Here's a guy who was a kid at that point and now playing against this team that he watched, you know, win it. You know, that those memories don't go away. You know, you have to, it's hard to be, it's nature. You know, it's, 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 you're almost in awe of, you know, Steph Curry knocking down threes, Clay Thompson doing the same thing. Draymond Green barking at you. You're, you're almost in awe of all that stuff. And I, I feel like that's where the experience factor comes into play in this situation. When I listen to this Celtics team post game after losses, it, I don't believe in what they're saying. It doesn't sound like they even believe in what they're saying to me. Um and it's different for the Warriors. Warriors are down 2-1. They said everything, they said all the right things. And, and I believe that Draymond Green believed that he was going to come out and have a better game. He didn't, but he did in game five. You know, Draymond Green he was getting peppered about the podcast. Mm-hmm. He kept it, you know, he stuck to his guns. And that's who he is. He's he's gonna go out being the confident player that he is, good, bad, or indifferent. And I think that's the difference in terms of the experience. It's it's dealing with the off days that, that that's a long time between games to be off and sitting there and stewing and it, people say oh well they, they had off days in the in the in the first three rounds it's different because there were yeah, different, different series playing you know there, there was there was a, now you're under the spotlight you're under the microscope there is no secondary game in town no one's talking about the nba draft no one cares about nba free agency right now you are the nba not only the nba storyline you are the sports storyline that is very different than when you're going through the second and third round in the conference finals. Do those games, you know, does the intensity ratchet up? Of course, because the teams are better. But I'm, t- I'm talking about global uh, media now paying attention to the uh, to the finals versus, you know, your local or maybe national media paying attention to the conference finals and, and, the, and the semifinals. Uh, it, it is just a different level that I, I think you need to have some level of experience to, to to really have someone be able to get in the locker room and say, "Hey, you know, I've been through this. Trust me, we'll be okay." I don't know who that person is because none of them have been through that. And Al Horford's probably the leader of this team. I don't know. If, I don't know if he, his voice will be able to cut through enough. We'll find out. We'll find out. That's why they play the games. We'll find out. I, I do think though this baby is over uh, in in six. Um, anything else to add to the finals before we move on? Yeah,
0: Game Six, Clay. We uh, we haven't mentioned him yet, so that's always bad news for the opposing team game six clay Thompson tends to come alive so right. uh look we all remember what he did against the Thunder he also had a huge game six against the Grizzlies in these playoffs um it, it does seem something that he's just completely leaned into and he believes like game six clay is his own player um he's he, look I I will always root for St- uh, for clay like he's impossible not to root for lovable guy um just an incredible player arguably the second greatest shooter of all time and the injuries that he's come back from um, it, it sure would be great to, and kind of poetic to see him have a big game six uh, to close this out.
1: It feels like that's where the script is heading. It really does. Uh, he hasn't had his, his game yet. He hasn't had that imprint yet on the finals as he would normally have. Uh, and game six seems like it would be his time to do that. Uh, all right. Let's move on quickly before we wrap up here uh, and talk about some of the rumors around the NBA. Scott, every time um i see a rumor i i start to laugh because this is the rumor season where do you where do you want to start draft trades free agency where where do you want to go with this stuff
0: i mean for a while it seemed like there might be something more to the zach Levine free agency him taking meetings with other teams potentially leaving um but jake fisher or bleacher report reported this morning that it does seem like he is expected to re-sign with the bulls so i don't know if there's a ton of surprise there but the one player I do think it's just going to be so interesting to see what happens to him this season. Is Rudy or this offseason is Rudy Gobert? Okay, because his name is clearly out there. We know how things went down with the Jazz. Um, Jake Fish in that same story reported that you know there's some buzz from the Hawks of having interest in him and floating out of the potential package of like a John Collins, Clint Capella, Kevin Herder, and the number 16 pick in the draft. And look, they we, we saw what the Hawks were cap- what, what they did last postseason um Clint Capella was so big for them defensively giving him that lob threat to Trey Young and everything he wasn't quite the same player this season um but if you replace him with Rudy Gobert who is a better defender that's no knock on Clint Capella I mean Rudy Gobert is one of the best defenders we've ever seen um an elite rim protector and he's not like the same lob threat but I I I would just be so interested to see Rudy Gobert playing next to someone like Trey Young who is just elite at that right like he amount of money he's going to make guys throughout their careers from just finding them like five times a game for alley-oops um pairing him with a guy like rudy gobert i just would be so interesting so look who knows what's going to happen any trade for gobert is going to be tricky just because of his salary um how many you know assets you have to give up to get him but i i i do think in the the weeks and months to come we're going to hear a lot more about him being linked to other teams
1: i am and this is probably because we're a little bit closer to it than most I'm so intrigued with all the uh, rumors that the Raptors have been a part of. You know, they've been a part of the Rudy Gobert uh, trade rumors. They've been a part of the DeAndre Ayton trade rumors. They've been a part of trade rumors uh, to jump up to number seventh overall in, in the draft where the Portland Blazers currently sit. Um, you know, that that isn't, uh, you know, we, we've done this now for, this is our fourth season covering the, uh, the NBA in Canada um you know for it's basically uh you know raptors.com up there there's a lot of raptors coverage uh, that the fans want and i don't i can't remember a time where we've gone into an offseason with this amount of noise around the team in rumors and uh, you know they normally act in complete silence you, you never hear any of this stuff uh, you know, even in the Kawhi Leonard trade, they weren't rumored to have, uh, you know, a go at Kawhi Leonard. It sort of just happened. You know, it it just popped out of nowhere um, and it surprised a lot of people. And, you know, you, you could talk about the Lowry stuff. Yeah, that's different. I, I think the Lowry stuff, the writing was on the wall for a long time, but that was just one team rumor. That was, just, you know, it, it ended up being, you know, we're Lowry going right to Miami, but there was no real noise about him being shopped mu- anywhere else. Uh, you know, of course, there was some mention of others, but we knew that Larry's going to end up in Miami at some point in time. And outside of that, I can't remember an off season or even in season uh, where the rumors were that loud or as loud as they have been. And I'm intrigued. I, I think, you know, they might hold the power or, or, or shift the pa- balance of power really in the Eastern conference by, you know, striking a deal because the East isn't getting any easier, Scott. Um, you know, we, we have the Celtics they are going to be around next year. Uh, you know, the Bucks are going to be back in business, um, you know, that, that the Sixers would probably expect to be a lot better, um, you know, in terms of just you know, having the ability to play with James Harden for an entire season where they didn't do that a year ago. And they'll start the season hopefully better than they did a year ago. Not to say that they started poorly, but they had a lot going on uh, in Philadelphia. So Chicago uh, might reload. Um, there's a lot of teams that, you know, want to get back up there in the Eastern Conference.
0: Yep. Um, I mean, we could do this all day, but the Heat, you know, number one seed this season, even the Nets, I know they were a mess this season, but they still got Kevin Durant, potentially Kyrie Irving, who knows what happens with Ben Simmons. So the East is pretty loaded. The Raptors are, (laughs) I I thought it was very interesting at the draft combine, where like guys like Dyson Daniels said, they've talked to the Raptors. And I think everyone at the time was kind of like, wait, what? (laughs) Like the Raptors don't have a first round pick. And yet they're talking to a guy who is not only going to go in the lottery, but it's going to be you know potentially like a top seven six pick yeah um I, I think that was the first time it kind of raised my eyebrows like some the, the raptors are doing something here right like whether they're covering all their bases and they just want to you know see what's out there um but they're clearly not just going to kind of sit back and let things all kind of play out but no i i think that they're, they're fascinating you know we've heard og Ananobi's name in the rumor mill It. There seems to be like some kind of, some a little bit like conflicting reports it does seem like rival teams are talking about OG and Obi. um you know there's been a report about Damian Lillard wanting to play with him and not necessarily so much as coming from the Raptors but um it, it does it, it's such a funky team like we, we we covered them all season long they got a bunch of guys who are like 6'8 6'10 long arms can can guard multiple positions but there is a little bit of like skill overlap, when, especially when you look at like a Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Scotty Barnes, right? And, and Pascal Siakam had an all-NBA-level season. I think we can kind of cont- believe he's going to be the, the same player moving forward, if not a little bit better. Scotty Barnes, Rookie of the Year, proved to be way ahead of the curve. A guy who I do think kind of looks like he's going to be an all-star one day. You've got to assume that he's going you know, more offense is going to r- run through him in the years to come. And it does kind of seem like OG Ananobi might be that person who gets squeezed out a little bit. And look, OG's great. Like, even if he just kind of, like, shoots threes, makes the odd play here or there, um, and then what he does defensively, I mean, that's that's a guy that every single team in the league wants. Um, but if he, if he wants to go to a situation where he does have more responsibility or where is creating more and everything like that, I don't know if it would be, like, a huge surprise. Um, and and I, I also think that the Raptors could get a, a pretty good return for him um and maybe that's how they address you know the one thing they don't really have is a center, right like precious achua showed a ton this season he's a really intriguing player but he's still more of like a like a forward like he shoots threes guards every single position they don't have that kind of like anchor like a robert williams for example um that the celtics have so whether that is rudy gobert whether that is deandre Ayton, um time will tell but it, it it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me at all if they I, maybe it would shock me if the raptors do make a big move this offseason but it doesn't shock me that they're kind of like you know testing the waters and seeing what they could potentially do
1: yeah it would it would shock me if they if they'd make a move to that would get them into the first round of the draft especially the lottery if they were able to find yeah. a way to do that that would shock me um it wouldn't shock me however if they make a move to get a center as you said because ken birch didn't work out chris boucher you know we'll see what happens with him in the offseason And and even if they keep him, he's not a player that is going to start games for them. He's not a player that's going to help them get deep into the finals, uh, into the postseason. And you look around the league, especially in the Eastern Conference, you mentioned Robert Williams and and Al Horford. That's going to be someone that you're going to have to go through in the Eastern Conference. You, You mentioned Joel Embiid. That's going to be a team that you're going to have to go through the Eastern Conference. Bam Adebayo, that's going to be a team you're going to have to go through in the Eastern Conference. You, Vucevic isn't, you know, on those guys' level, but he's still there. And you you need someone that's going to be able to guard that for a seven game series. Dukumpo, how did I get this, you know, get this far off and not mention him? So, you know, the, the bigs are, you know, there was a time where I think everybody was like, "Hey, we're going to head to positionless basketball," but bigs are still valuable. You, you can't have a negative uh at the center position. And I think that's what the Raptors had this year. They had a negative at the center position because they were playing guys out of position. The 6-9 thing with Lang, that's fun, but you do need an anchor. And, you know, they just didn't have one this year. So, see what happens for them in the offseason. Uh, they're intriguing to me. The, the Hornets, by the way, are also intriguing to me hmm. um, because they're also in the rumor mill. Uh, and, you know, adding Kenny Atkinson, Lamella Ball's contract year, uh, contract extension year uh, this year after being an all star, you know, there's already rumbles locally. Uh, we, we live in Charlotte, Scott, and there's already rumbles locally about, oh, um, here's another player that's just going to leave a small market and go to LA or go to Boston, you know, go to New York and, and go to a bigger market. So you already start hearing the rumbles. And I, I hate that about the NBA. And not just because I live here in Charlotte, but I just hate that about the NBA. But, you know, the Hornets seem to be on the rise. They they, they struck gold when they got LaMola ball. And now they just need to build around him and, and figure out a way to do that. So this offseason is, is pivotal for the Charlotte Hornets, a team that the last two years got knocked out of the playing tournament. So. Uh, plenty more, uh, you know, rumors will, will will pop up. I'm sure uh, as we creep closer to the draft and free agency, which begins July 1st, uh, should be fun. We still we didn't even get a chance. We didn't even mention the Lakers, by the way. You know, people are still <laughs> dangling Russell Westbrook's name out there. He's probably going to be in LA still next season. Uh, all right, Scott, let's get out of here. Again, uh, my prediction: Game Six. I think the Warriors win it. I think the next time you guys hear our voices, we'll be talking about a Warrior championship. We'll be talking about a dynasty. Scott, you think the Warriors is well in six?
0: I'm with you on that. Yeah, I think it's over. I think it's over. I would love
1: to see seven, though. I would love to see seven. If you missed any part of the show, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Just type in NBA Sound System. Subscribe, rate, and review. uh, And uh, tell a friend. Helps us out a ton. We will be back here next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific. For Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gay saying enjoy the finals folks